0: talk about the stories within the panel. I'm your co-host Albert, and this is our other co-host.
1: This is Drew. How's it going, everybody?
0: Yo, yo, yo. Hello, everyone. And today, what we are going to do is we are going to do what we're going to name the Manga Menagerie. We are going to do a Manga Menagerie episode. Up to this point, we've been doing a couple of these, uh, you know, these book discussions about random mangas that we've been doing, and uh, we thought it'd be nice to give it a little segment title so that In the future, if anyone just wants to listen to our manga stuff, although we'd love it if you listen to all of our stuff, uh, you know, they can put all of them together and just listen to those episodes. So, for this manga menagerie, we are going to be discussing Blood on the Tracks. Drew, can you give us a little bit of information regarding Blood on the Tracks?
1: Sure. Blood on the Tracks is a series by Shuzo Oshimi. It's published in... English by Vertical Comics, translated by Daniel Komen, edited by Daniel Joseph. Currently, there are seven volumes available in English, although I think volume eight is probably going to drop later this month. Currently in Japan, I believe they're on volume 12 or so. So this is a series that's still ongoing. We've only read the first seven volumes of this. Uh Uh-huh. Originally in, in Japan, it was published in a Seinen magazine. So it's aimed at a slightly older audience than, than uh, young boys. And I think after you read volume two of Blood on the Tracks, you'll definitely realize that this ain't really for kids at all.
0: Yeah, that's, that's more than fair. That's, that's probably the safe bet. Like if I had any children in my life, that I didn't have uncomfortable relationships with, I certainly wouldn't recommend this book.
1: What if you had children in your life that you, had, that you did have uncomfortable
0: relations with? Would you give them this book? Well, first of all, I wouldn't phrase that as uncomfortable relations with because that sounds incredibly wrong. Second Good of point. all, <laughs> I just wanted to catch that before. <laughs> Good point. Before that was solidified forever yeah. in an audio file. <laughs> I don't want to end up in court someday to have someone uh, bring that up as some form of evidence against me. <laughs> that would be
1: pretty harsh if you were convicted because of something. Yeah. Something I said on a podcast. Your I, Honor. i feel
0: pretty bad. Your Honor. I thought I was just in court for parking tickets. I don't know what and what this, what sort of relevance this has to do with any of it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that is to say, I, I just don't think that this is uh, uh, the kind of manga that would be for a child. And I don't mean that in the way that I don't think I would ever let a kid read Naruto. You wouldn't let a kid read Naruto? Because it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> you use a hater albert <laughs> every day i wake up i brush my teeth and i have me a fresh glass of haterade before i go out into the world <laughs>
1: hey yeah i mean stuff like naruto is definitely that that's kind of uh, aimed at people who are who, who grew up a little younger than us i think i think we were a little too old when naruto started to take off
0: so are you saying that that's why we never got it
1: Probably. There's a chance that if we had grown up with Naruto, like if we were, you know, seven or eight years old and bombarded with Naruto on TV watching the anime and then discovering the comics, there, there's a pretty good chance that we wouldn't hate it. I don't know if we'd be diehard fans or anything, but we might not make fun of it. That's true. I, we're, I just, we're old men, man. We are old men
0: here. Well, I would like to also add that I do think that part of the thing that makes me mock Naruto is the fact that their fan base is pretty mockable. <laughs> <laughs> at Fine. At their worst, the fan base is very mockable. Okay. At their okay. best, I'm sure they're like firefighters or something. Something great. Something great. <laughs> wanna... At their best, they're Michael B. Jordan.
1: Oh, that's pretty good, man. I love that dude.
0: Yeah. See? So, it ain't all bad. What are they at their worst? Uh, I think they're guys that wanted to invade Area 51 while doing the Naruto run. That sounds pretty dumb. Yeah. But that was a thing that almost happened.
1: Huh. I'm gonna have to look that up. I vaguely remember hearing that on social media at some point but I haven't thought about it in a couple years. So, yeah, I need to, after we get off of this call, I need (laughs) to do some research.
0: (laughs) That is time well spent. Time well spent.
1: The only way that you can truly dominate your enemies is by learning everything there is to know about them.
0: Man, you've made a compelling argument for me not to want to dominate my enemies. (laughs) because you're too lazy to learn everything about them. Also, also, I don't want to learn everything about them. I feel like the amount of information I have about my enemies is just enough information for me to hate them. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all I need. All right, all right. Fair enough, fair Mm -hmm. enough.
1: So today we are going to talk about Blood on the Tracks, which is something that's totally different from your typical shonen manga. Um, Albert, you want to give us a brief, spoiler-free synopsis? Uh,
0: yeah, I'll, I'll try my best to do that. Essentially, it's the story of a young boy by the name of Sei, and uh, on the on the face of it all. He seems to have. He seems to be uh, a semi, you know, a seemingly normal young man who has uh, a seemingly normal relationship with his mother, uh, albeit they're a little close. Uh, And you know, he he has a father in his home, and you know, they all live together. There's everything on the surface of it seems maybe not picturesque, but normal at least, but as the story progresses uh, and you begin to learn about the dynamic of their relationship, you learn that there's definitely something much darker going on beneath the surface um, in in just how these characters interact with one another. it's It's something dark and sinister and it just It's the type of relationship that takes codependency to just the worst levels and places that you can think of. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's that's the most that I can say for it without giving away too much. I don't know if there are any plot points or anything that you feel like you want to mention to them.
1: Mm, No, let's keep it spoiler-free because I I think... I think uh at least for, for now and we'll we'll tell people when we start discussing the plot, but I I do uh think that the it's fair to say that it's about a pretty overprotective helicopter mother and yeah. uh Yeah, there's if I had to classify this as a in terms of a genre, I'd probably call it a psychological Yeah. Either it's either a psychological horror or a psychological thriller. I'm I'm not sure if i would if i can make a clear distinction but yeah. if you enjoy reading things that make you feel unsettled or uncomfortable then this is a great series to check out cuz it's going to make you feel <laughs> you're not going gonna... it, to it's weird to to say that it's not a feel like good this. story <laughs> it's not a feel good story
0: yeah yeah uh so Is it all right if I ask a quick question before we move on to uh, any further details about the story? Go for it, man. So, Drew, how I wanted to talk about like how this book came to our attention. So, I'm kind of curious what what brought what can you tell us the story of how this book came to your attention? What was it about this book that drew you to it? What were the circumstances surrounding it?
1: Yeah, so when Volume 1 was released a couple of years ago, this was, came out, like the first volume came out, I want to say right before the pandemic, or maybe uh, early 2020. And I remember, I had never heard anything about it before. I didn't know who Shuzo Ashimi was. Uh, but when I was just looking at the week's latest releases on in-stock trades... This one week, I saw the cover for Blood on the Tracks, Volume One, and I thought the the illustration just stood out because um, it's just this painted image of the mother. Her name is Seiko, holding her son Seiichi, and he's you know just like a little toddler or a little baby on the cover, and it, it just it just looked uh, pastoral. I mm. I also thought that the title of the story was pretty interesting because, you know, Blood on the Tracks just makes you think of the Bob Dylan album. And I was intrigued by that title with that image. I I don't really remember what I thought about the the little description, but I just remember I saw that and I immediately went to the... SF Public Library website and asked them to buy it (laughs) so eventually (laughs) they they got it and I've been borrowing the series from the library ever since Mm. it's uh it turns out that I don't really think the Bob Dylan album has anything to do with the with the themes of the story Mm -hmm. or I mean granted I I can't say I I've analyzed bob dylan's lyrics on that album very deeply so i i don't remember uh what he was singing about but i don't think that albums songs have much to do with uh this story it it feels like uh they might have that it feels like oshimi might have used that title just because <clears throat> i don't know it sounded cool or something i'm, I'm still yeah. actually not sure why it's called blood on the
0: tracks he could have named it uh Blood on the Tracks, The Clone Saga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh or Blood on the Tracks, Executioner's Song. <laughs> Blood uh, on the
1: Tracks, Mutant Massacre,
0: Blood on the Tracks, Phalanx Covenant. <laughs> uh, all just meaningless descriptions, but they sound cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think they they sound kind of bizarre too, but whatever, <laughs> whatever. Okay. I mean, he, he could have used any other. I feel it feels like the title is just mysterious enough to to draw your attention, and it worked on me. Like I I can definitely say that it. I'm a total sucker for intriguing titles, and and that yeah. title drew me in. After. Oh, cool. Uh, I was just going to say, after reading uh, Blood on the Tracks, because I think uh, by the time the library opened up again uh, in the midst of the pandemic, I believe that they had accumulated, uh, I want to say, like, the first three volumes of it, at least. So I was able to get get them in bunches. Like, I I read the first three pretty much all at once, and then a little while after that, I had four and five, and then... A month or two ago, I read six and seven, but I've also been doing a little bit of just looking up the bibliography of Shuzo Oshimi, the creator of this manga. And he has a few things that I've heard of, but just I've never read those those comics before. Like he had a comic called Inside Mari, uh, another one called Happiness and another one called the flowers of evil i think the flowers of evil might be the most famous one of his works because uh-huh. i believe there was an anime of it yeah i but i've never watched it i've never read any of those but it turns out i actually have all of happiness i got it on a digital bundle when uh kodansha had had a humble bundle uh, a year or two ago so I might go and and read those just to explore more
0: of his work. Ooh, that's uh, that sounds like that could be a potential future manga menagerie episode. It could be, man. It could be.
1: Yeah. What about you, man? How did you hear about this? Because I feel like I told you about this manga when I first read it, but it wasn't until recently
0: that you finally decided to pick it up. So the funny thing is, you. I think you did tell me about it and I know and I know this after the fact. You definitely posted about it and this this might be telling of my uh attention to detail <laughs> or maybe even telling of my level of involvement in this podcast, but
1: <laughs> but It could just be telling of, of how much you actually listen to what I have to say.
0: <laughs> how how every important time
1: you talk how important of a friend is drew really like what does what do his recommendations ever matter
0: <laughs> every time Drew talks, I just hear birds chirping, <laughs> but yeah, so um, uh, actually, I'd say my story was almost exactly identical to yours in that i would I just happened to be on in stock trade uh looking around at it, and I saw this. Uh, this mango with this interesting cover and uh, like you, the name blood on the tracks caught my attention. And I think for me, it was that juxtaposition of that title like that. There's something about that title uh, put up against the image of a mother and a young child. There's, there's something wrong about that, you know? It doesn't seem like they naturally be a fit for one another. Mm-hmm. So, that that caught my attention. That was the first thing that caught my attention. And then the other thing was and, and I think this might have caught my my attention more than it caught yours, but I I actually when I read the the description of it, it was a really really brief description, you know, like maybe something something within like the span of one to two sentences. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was something that basically just said, I, like, I don't remember it verbatim, but it was something that essentially t- talked about how, uh, you know, a mother's love, uh, you know, what happens when a mother's love takes it, takes, uh, goes to dark places or something like that. Right. Goes Too far. Yeah. Goes too far. And that's, that's just where it left it. And I think, that was enough of a hook for me, cause it just got my imagination running, because I was like, oh, what happens between these these people, you know? So many where,
1: possibilities.
0: Yeah, where 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 exactly does this story go? And yeah, I guess I have to say, whoever wrote that that blurb, at least in regards to me, they did just enough. They they told just enough, just just enough to entice me without giving away too much. Yeah,
1: you know? yeah, and I think that I think I had a similar experience. I wasn't sure because it had been so long since uh-huh. I read the, uh, you know, that little description. But I think that's most likely the same thing that happened to me because yeah. I I do remember my first impression of reading Volume One was I I didn't know what kind of book this was, you know, like I uh-huh. Uh-huh. I had no idea that it was uh, a psychological kind of book you know yeah like I yeah yeah I didn't know what I was signing up for I was just taking it in with an open mind and I I feel like that's probably the best way to approach it if you're a first-time reader like if you're thinking about reading this book you don't really need to know anything about the plot and and maybe maybe us saying that it's a psychological thriller might maybe that's even already a little too much Uh um so I I would apologize if if uh (laughs) that ruins the surprise for you (laughs) <laughs> but, um, you know, they're basically, I think when you read volume one, by the time you get to the end of it, I think you'll know whether or not you want to read more of it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a slow burn. Uh, but it, even, even though volume one on the surface seems like it, it's not the kind of story where you can pin down immediately that it's a th- a thriller or a horror or whatever there's mm-hmm. still enough there that there's still enough of an eeriness to what you're reading where in the back of your mind you know that something's not right you know
1: yeah there's just something yeah. unsettling about it there's a, a very unsettling quality to the story yeah i think part of it is because of the way that oshimi paces the story because it's so unusual compared to most comics that we've encountered. This mm. is a story that'll spend multiple pages in a row just uh, showing characters looking at each other, you know? Yeah. like there'll, yeah. there'll be a couple pages spent on people shifting their body weight or just looking at each other, uh, yeah. making eye contact even just walking from one place to another. So it it gives you like a sense of just being very forlorn. It gives you a sense of, I guess decompression, you know, like I feel like maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, decompressed storytelling was a, a big thing, a big buzzword that we would hear in mainstream American comics, especially with superhero comics. You know, we, when stuff like The Authority came out or things like uh, Bendis's Marvel stuff, just those comics where people would say, would criticize them by saying, nothing really happens or it takes so long for, for something to, to happen. Uh, but I never really found those criticisms valid uh, because there are different ways to, to tell a story. And if someone is pacing a story out that slowly it just forces you to you, you kind of have to think about why are they doing it like that you know yeah yeah like there are certain things where it's it's purposeful and it's not just that they're trying to I mean maybe with the, some of the Marvel stuff you I could see an argument saying that they were trying to drag out stories so they could fill six issues in a trade paperback or whatever yeah maybe, maybe that's valid With with some writers, but I think the best writers who worked in that era, they they knew that even within those constraints and that desire to pump out a six issue trade paperback, you could still do interesting and interesting stories that had depth to them, you know. And maybe maybe it would take maybe you would spend six issues to tell a story that takes place within the span of a you know a day or two. And I think a lot of superhero readers. Can get impatient with stuff like that because you know they they just want stuff to happen. They want people to they want the team to get together real quick and yeah. It's like what why would when when Bendis launched New Avengers for example right like why would it take them more than six issues to to assemble the team you know like there yeah I think people would be like they should get together in the first issue and then you know the rest of it. I just want to see them fight. Yeah exactly exactly (laughs) yeah yeah you know so there there are always those kind of criticisms but um i do think that that era of decompressed storytelling was pretty influenced by manga in general and a lot of manga mm-hmm. typically tends to be uh relatively decompressed you know like there's a lot fewer uh panels per page um, just the use of, of splashes and i think a comic like blood on the tracks even though it's not an action story it's not an action comic mm-hmm. it's still uh paced in a way where we're spending a lot of pages where relatively little happens but so much mood is being established and so many emotions are being contemplated yeah between the panels you know so there's just something to this kind of storytelling that makes it unique and it's i would i would even say it it's really daring and and different you know because there aren't really that many comics i can think of that take slow
0: methodical pacing to this extreme yeah when i think about the seven volumes that we read um the thing about it is uh, recently, another podcast that you were showing me, manga splaining, right? Um, yeah, manga explaining, manga explaining. Um, I think they did an episode on just one volume. Is that right? Or did they do like the whole thing?
1: They read the first two.
0: Okay. See, the thing about it is, even though <clears throat> it's seven volumes, uh, it's like Drew was saying, you. It's it's not a particularly dense piece of work, at least in terms of the writing itself, but there is a lot to dissect in terms of uh, the visual material that you're looking at, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're doing like all seven volumes. And the thing about that is, again, it's this situation where it doesn't feel like there's a lot that's necessarily going on but uh the slow methodical pacing of it is is the thing that's taking up most of the the processing, you know? Uh yeah. most of the headspace when it comes to what we're deconstructing. But in terms mm-hmm. of like the actual things that happen, I'd say it's pretty straightforward. There's there's I'm sure there's a way to uh compress this book into you know two or three volumes. Everything that's happened so far in the seven volumes, there's a way to decompress that into two, maybe three volumes. Yeah, like if this were a Franco-Belgian comic, you could totally do that. (laughs) Yeah, but exactly. And this isn't... But it would be a completely different comic because Mm -hmm. the mood would just be... It would be just stripped of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. This is a really moody comic. Yeah, and I'd even... I don't don't know if you feel the same way, but there is a cinematic quality to it. You know, the fact that they spend, it's like you said, they spend so much time uh, on these little moments between characters where you're just watching them look at each other face at at each other's faces. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it reminds me of a lot of films uh, that where, where they establish mood just by the visual, by what's happening on the screen without having people necessarily talk to each other,
1: you know? Yeah, it feels like something that they would do in old European films.
0: Yeah, I could see that, for reals, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: like I don't, I don't feel like we see this kind of thing too much in, in like your typical Hollywood blockbusters, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see Zack Snyder's version of this movie. <laughs> 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 Everything is sepia-toned. And whenever they move in any motion, it's it's a slow mo cut. <laughs> oh man! But uh, the other thing I was gonna mention about it was so I mentioned that Drew had talked about it a little, and uh, he had even posted about it on Instagram. And I remember when I finally, when I was browsing in stock trades, and I came ap- across it, I sent it to Drew. And it was just one of those moments where he was like, yeah, I talked about that. I posted something about that, like, just a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, oh, oops.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, now I know you don't pay attention to what I say, man.
0: (laughs) Well, but I, I will say that the fact that I did come across it, you know, almost on my own, I, I, that is a testament to just, uh, you know, our similar tastes. We're in uh, sync, man. Exactly, exactly. You know, in a vacuum, we, we could be uh, mirror reflections. <laughs> <laughs> we're,
1: we're mirror universe versions of each other. <laughs> I should grow out my goatee or something.
0: Because I'm evil! <laughs> Whoa! are <laughs> You all right there? Not really. <laughs> so
1: is there anything else you would say in order to spur someone to try reading Blood on the Tracks? Uh, without spoiling anything in the story?
0: Well, I, I don't think I have anything to necessarily uh encourage anyone to read it. What what I'd have to say would probably be more of a disclaimer, just in the sense that if you're someone who's Kind of squeamish uh you know and and just to clarify, like this isn't something uh this isn't about like viscera or uh it's not gory yeah or gore or anything like that, but there is still a quality to it that might make you sick to your stomach, you know, yeah, like un- just an almost un untraceable untouchable un. Uh, un unknown quality to it like that you just can't quite pinpoint, but if you're like sensitive to that sort of thing, then maybe this isn't quite the book for you but uh I will say that it is a fascinating piece of work, yeah, yeah, agreed.
1: You have to be willing to experience something uncomfortable, and I think uh-huh. if you're looking for you know a, a feel good story or just something that'll mindlessly entertain you this this probably isn't that i think it's just a little too the The subject matter is a little too heavy i think to be for this to be taken taken too lightly
0: yeah yeah
1: that's uh true that true that yeah so like we were saying earlier if i had to uh give it a genre i would probably classify it as a psychological horror or a psychological thriller i'm still not sure like how clear that distinction would be but it's definitely the thing that drives the narrative forward it it's it just compels the reader to keep on reading because you want to know what happens next like there's an element of suspense to it that yeah. motivates you to read it. But I'll also say that thematically, there are some elements here. I don't think they're necessarily at the forefront, but it, it does have some interesting thematic material that could add a little bit of depth and shading to the, the overall work. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes I think when you think of a, a psychological horror or a thriller story, it's it's really more about the adventure itself, right? Like the you're really focused on what's gonna happen next. You're focused on the actual thrills of yeah. the story. And there Will they
0: catch the killer? Will the killer mm-hmm. get away? Who mm-hmm. is the killer? That, or whatever, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes there isn't that's sometimes those kind of stories don't really uh, spend the time to explore you know other subject matter. You know, everything else just kind of pops up because it's part of the story uh, or the world that the characters inhabit, but there's no real focus on those things. Yeah. So I I think one of the things that makes Blood on the Tracks different from a lot of typical thrillers is that because of the slow pacing, there's a lot more time for you as the reader to contemplate what you're consuming. Yeah, yeah. So there are some elements here that i think do stand out specifically these coming of age elements uh uh-huh. uh because the the main boy character the the son in the story he's about 13 years old and just you know learning about himself and uh his relationship with his mother and also uh there's a girl in his class who likes him so there's that element too there's also some elements of parenthood obviously with the mother being a major character in the story uh i guess you could probably call her the the deuteragonist she's just uh yeah just a crucial character in terms of showing us a bad image of motherhood maybe yeah. or just you know that overbearing uh almost not almost, I would say, definitely say uh, a disturbed mother, you know, like the qualities that she embodies are are definitely not good qualities. Yeah, but she's not the only parent in the story. like you get to see other, other parents too, and the way that uh, the amount of attention that Oshimi gives to the other characters, like the the main girl character, she has a, a father who's a a bit uh, neglectful of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, The main boy character, like his father's still in the picture, but uh, you know, he presents a different image of parenthood. And then there's also uh, the boys, uh, Seichi's cousin, his his cousin plays a, a big role in the story as well. And that character is named Shigeru and his mother, is another uh, character that shows up fairly often in these first seven volumes, at least. Yeah,
0: she's one of the few other adults that we actually get to see in their world, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, so
1: I feel like the story does a good job of presenting some ideas without kind of, it doesn't bash you over the head with these thematic ideas. And if, if anything, I would still say that these elements of parenthood and coming of age they still feel secondary to the psychological elements of the narrative, but it still adds a little depth to the story, you know, which is something that I enjoy whenever I read anything, just having mm. a little bit more to, to chew on. So I can appreciate the story in terms of just enjoying it for the plot, but also I can enjoy thinking about it too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you.
0: Yeah, man. I, I, I just want to piggyback on some of the ideas that you put out there. Um, but you're absolutely right in that, even though the manga moves at a pretty fast pace, and we mentioned before it. Wait, even though you you think it moves at a fast pace? Or uh, no, no, I meant slow pace. But okay, okay, it moves. You're right. It moves at a slow pace because uh, you know, in seven volumes, it's deceptive how how much is going on, right? But yeah. But what I was going to say was, yeah, that that slow pace works in favor of the of the story that's going on itself, because I think you hit it on the money when you said that with most other stories, you kind of with most other suspense or horror stories, you kind of know going into it exactly what what it is. Right. But with this, Mm -hmm. you know that there's something wrong that's going on between these characters. And as time goes by, like the way that I was reading it, I was constantly waiting for the hammer to drop. For like whatever the final big reveal is, ultimately, which is like, what's at the source of all this, right? Or at right. least for me, that's that's the thing that's constantly hovering in my background. But it always just feels like that resolution or that nugget of information or or whatever is just constantly out of reach, you know. Mm-hmm. And and again, like this, the 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 author is just taking uh, pages and pages to show these characters uh, interacting with e- each other at this really slow pace. And it's just this constant ratcheting up of tension. And it's like you said, it just forces you to contemplate even more. It, it makes whatever animal lizard part of your brain in the back of your head yeah. like tingle that much more as you're just trying to figure out what exactly it is is going on within this story, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, like, I I don't even know if they're really themes, but I, I'd agree that, uh, the coming of age element is, is definitely part of it, because, uh, Say is just, he, I, I don't know, was it official? Is he actually a teenager at this point in the story? Like, did they ever reveal his age? I forget. I feel like they
1: said he's 13 years old, but I I could be wrong. I'm, but I'm pretty sure that's how old he is. He's he's in middle school.
0: Yeah. I wanted, I, I would, if I had to guess it'd be 13 because clearly there's, uh, there's this weird push pull between his adolescence and his maturing and whatever, like messed up, uh, (laughs) <laughs> stuntedness his mother is uh you know responsible forcing for. yeah, yeah. In, in, responsible for you know so there's there co- the coming of age element is is definitely a pretty strong a a strong aspect of whatever is going on in the story but um yeah there's also that element of uh parenthood and motherhood where Again, we don't really see too many adult characters that populate this story. But from what we do see, they're all kind of messed up in their own way. You know, they're either like negligent or uh, they what's the word? They uh, uh, I would say Seiichi's father
1: is pretty oblivious.
0: Yeah, I was going to say uh, what what's his cousin's name? Shigeru? Yeah, sugar's mother is... What's what's that word for when they... Oh, she's indulgent, it feels like. Mm-hmm. You know? In that she just kind of feeds into her son being an asshat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know? Like... uh, Yeah, not not to give away too much. Like, things happen at some point where she gets kind of messed up too. But even before that, like... It's not like she was really a good parent, you know?
1: (laughs) Maybe she was a decent parent, but I didn't like her
0: Yeah, (laughs) as a person. Yeah, yeah. she could have been a decent parent, but she raised a dick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs)
1: Do you want to dive into some spoiler discussion?
0: Sure, sure. Let's uh let let's let's
1: blow the lid off
0: this, sucker.
1: Okay, so for those of you listening, if if you haven't read the series yet, we're just gonna be fully disclosing several events that we want to talk about in the first seven volumes. So this is your spoiler warning. So Albert, I think this moment in volume one that completely gripped me, the moment where i knew yeah i gotta continue reading this series it was definitely when seiko ends up pushing shigeru off
0: the cliff yeah so at this point in volume one we we kind of get a sense of what the relationship between se and his mother is uh there's there's definitely a sense that she's overbearing and you know, at first it seems like she's just being a good, attentive mother to her son, but as the uh, volume goes on, you know, there's... It's almost like that thing where there's a horror in repetition, you know? what What is that? Uh, what's that saying? Like, uh, like hell is uh, repetition? Have you ever heard that? I've heard hell is other people. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well it it just feels like every day this kid wakes up and his mother asks him, like, which bun do you want? You know, would you rather have a pork bun or a red bean bun, you know? And at first it's like, oh, he cares for her. But as the series, prog- or as that volume progresses and as uh she continues to do this more and more and as you begin to watch more of their relationship unravel, there's a definite sense of, like, with every iteration of this that you see there's a warping that's uh taking place where you you just see a slight difference and with each difference there's something not quite right with what you're viewing you know it just leaves this tingling sensation in the back of your head that things are wrong you know
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and the whole time it just seems they, they keep trying to reinforce the idea that they just have this normal relationship with each other. And he just, uh, say goes home every week and he has to hang out with his cousin, with his mom, because he just has to, he's almost compelled to at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. That's just what they do. Yeah. Like other kids want to hang out with him, but he's so afraid to break that routine and, you don't ever really know why, but you just know that he can't like some like there's something in the back of his brain that won't allow him to break this routine. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, at at one point, uh, his cousin. Who hangs out with him, he's he's a bit of a bully, kind of makes fun of him. He says, you you know, he's constantly making fun of him by saying, you know, your mom's overprotective. And what's even worse is. His mom even says that about him too. That's where he gets it, cause you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seiko's Seiko's Shigeru... mom says it too. Oh, Shiguru's mom says it yeah, too. Yeah, Shiguru's
1: mom says that to Seiko. <laughs> yeah. Like you they, know, they definitely uh, when the when the families get together, they definitely make fun of Seiko for being this overprotective mother. And, yeah. I mean, on on some level, it's it's true, you know, because. I think there was a scene or a flashback scene where they showed that she went to Say's kindergarten every day, you know, because Uh, uh she just wanted, she didn't want him to to be alone, which is, you can make the argument that, oh, she really loves her son. But on the other hand, that's just too much, you know, you can't go every day. Yeah. I understand going on the first day of school or whatever, but after a certain point, kid's got to learn to be on his own for a bit
0: yeah yeah it's it's not normal
1: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah it's it's, uh it's embarrassing like it's it's amazing that there wasn't something in her mind that told her this isn't something i should do you know so on on some level it 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 does kind of feel like it feels like seiko is the one who's cracked in the head like there's something yeah just something abnormal About her behavior. And as the story progresses. You just see it continue to take. More and more levels you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah exactly exactly. And eventually what ends up happening with Shigeru. Is they decide that they're going to go on this family vacation. And they're all going to go hang out together. And as they're out in the wilderness. uh, Shigeru and his mom are still. I don't know if it's passive aggressively but they're just kind of picking on uh Say and his whatever his situation is <clears throat> at one point Shigeru and Say go off you know on their own to go hike and while they're on their own he's Shigeru's just kind of he's bullying Say essentially you know making mm-hmm. fun of him i think he's making fun of his uh, mom making fun of his mom i think he's even like physically uh bullying him too at that point uh what are they wrestling or something i uh, might I be think remembering so
1: that. I, I i can't remember yeah. either
0: yeah and so at one point shigeru goes to the edge of this cliff and he's just like he's he's kind of daring say to come over and like look over the edge of this cliff but say won't do it because he's he's afraid of either he's afraid of the cliff or he's afraid of what his mom would say to him if he you know disobeys her or whatever yeah. And yeah. while yeah, yeah. And while this is all going down, Say's mom shows up and you know, she's watching this kid she's watching Shigeru just be a disrespectful brat to say, you know? Yeah, and he's
1: just taunting Say.
0: Exactly. And then, you know, he's standing over the edge of this cliff and he's like, Oh, the how scary is this? Oh, you know, just yeah, taunting. Kind of dancing him, exactly. a little bit. Yeah. And what ends up happening is Seiko goes forward, and in that instant, like, you think that she's going to pull him back, but she just shoves him off this cliff, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then what's even more messed up is, without even batting an eye, without any sense of hesitation, she just goes, oh, my God, we have to go tell someone that he fell, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, like there's 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 definitely a sense of so- sociopathy there because it's not like she goes she doesn't feel any sense of guilt. There's no sense of, oh, no, we have to cover this up. She she doesn't she proceeds... collapse
1: to her knees and say, what have I done?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. She she proceeds to. uh, She knows exactly what she wants to say. And like, th- I feel like this is something that gets a term that gets thrown around a lot, but. She is essentially gaslighting say in this moment, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she's telling him, oh, what you saw was that kid falling and me reaching out to try to save him as opposed to, hey, I pushed that kid over a cliff. Yeah. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that's really kind of the it's it's like you said, that's the first real big moment in this manga where. I guess the the thrill or the suspense aspect of it is just. You know, on full display for the readers. Like this is what what's really going on. You know. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's
1: it's just super twisted. Like yeah. That moment is is like up to that point you knew that Seiko was not right, but seeing her basically try to kill a kid, that, that's just a whole nother <laughs> level. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I guess on some level, the kid really deserved it. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> just a little gallows humor there. I only laughed yeah. a little bit when
0: I read that. Look, if she wasn't such a... If he wasn't such a jerk, and if she wasn't the mother of a jerk, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I justify a lot of things.
1: Yeah. So that event is the impetus for a whole lot of the story in volumes one through seven because Shigeru ends up spending time in a hospital because he's in a. I believe he's in a coma. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the rest of the family is checking in on him and, and visiting him, except for. Except for Seiko and yeah. and Say and and on top of yeah. that, I, I I might be misremembering the order of events here. Mm-hmm. But uh from what I, I recall, Seiko she basically it's like you were saying earlier, she was gaslighting her son, you know, convincing trying to convince him that she tried to catch Shigeru, even yeah. though she actually pushed him.
0: Yeah. Well, so the thing is the yeah, so it's like you said the push was the impetus for a lot of the unraveling and um the, the unraveling that happens in the story moving forward. And in the next volume a large part of it is about say and he's he, completely traumatized. He's yeah, exactly. He's completely traumatized by the fact that he witnessed in his mind, he believes he's, well, he knows he saw his mother push uh, Shigeru off this cliff. And she's telling everybody that uh, Shigeru fell and uh, she was just out there to try to save him. And so he he's so messed up by this, he develops a stutter even, you know? Like, yeah, he can barely talk. He can barely talk. He goes everywhere and he's just choking on his own words, you know? He's 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 kind of a mess. He's really messed up
1: psychologically. Yeah. yeah. Even at even at school.
0: Yeah. Um and as as that all happens, um there's there's a lot of things. There's also a lot of there's a B story going on about how there's a young girl that is smitten with him. Mm-hmm. And and you know she uh in the first volume she writes him a letter and I think that's uh,
1: the second volume.
0: Oh, okay. That might be yeah. okay. It happens
1: so, after after she's in the hospital.
0: Right, right. But I think like he notices or like they notice each other or something in the first volume at least, right? Yeah, yeah. They they're, yeah.
1: they're already uh friends Aware and classmates and I, I yeah. think as the reader you just get the impression that She likes him. And then later on in volume two, she actually shows up at his house because he's basically been extremely withdrawn. I think they're on a summer break or something. Yeah. And he, like before they went on their break, he said that he would call her and he never did because he's just Mm -hmm. been so withdrawn. Yeah. So she shows up at his house uh, unexpectedly and, you know, goes inside his room and tries to talk to him. But you know, being kids, they're both, like, really shy and just kind of fumbling with their words. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. at the end, she gives him a little envelope with a heart uh, on it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things, that I think, I don't actually know if this is common in in Japanese culture. But it's something that I see in a lot of anime. Yeah, yeah. Read, read about in manga. But it's just like the giving your crush a love letter, you know?
0: Yeah, just revealing your feelings for them. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I'll take it as fact, because I don't know anything about Japan. (laughs) 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 Everything I learned about Japan, I learned through manga. (laughs) Yeah, and anime.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But she gives him this this love letter, uh, and before he has a chance to really do anything... His mom comes home and she walks in on walks in on them uh, yeah. you know just barges into his room and she's and Seiko sees the girl uh, the girl's name is Fukishi. She sees this girl with her son, and uh, you know Fukiishi ends up uh, getting shy. She leaves pretty quickly yeah, and you know the mother she's just like being really smiley and polite. It's it's interesting when you look at the, the art because she looks like way happier than what you would expect a, a normal person's reaction to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the way that she's smiling, it's just so over-exaggerated. It almost
0: feels like she's trying really hard to be okay with this. Exactly.
1: <laughs> trying really hard. Yeah. So, yeah. And then one of the other most memorable things happens because after Fukishi leaves the house... Seiko goes up to Say and she says, Let me see that uh yeah. that love letter, you know? And then yeah. <laughs> she just opens up this love letter, like he doesn't want to give it to her at first, but she's like, Show it to mommy yeah. now
0: <laughs> and yeah. he has
1: like no other choice. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine being a kid and and having your mom do that?
0: <laughs> that would be pretty devastating. But I think that's completely in line with with one of the themes that we mentioned earlier that whole coming of age, right? Whereas mm-hmm. whereas most people would think of this I mean, I don't know what necessarily know what the proper response to something like that is. I know that her response wasn't nece- wasn't the right <laughs> one though, you know? Yeah. But but there was clearly you know th- this is kind of a milestone moment for any teenager you know meeting that first crush and you know forming those first relationships or whatever and or whatever yeah and the the mother here instead of seeing it as a normal like rite of passage or just a normal part of growing up she's she's threatened by this you know she's threatened exactly. by She's threatened by what uh this girl represents uh cuz this girl I I guess I don't have any other way to put it but she's afraid that this girl is going to steal her son away from her, you know? Or at least yeah. that's that was what I was getting out of it. Uh, I don't know if I'm misreading that, but
1: No, I th- I think that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's not it's never really explicit because we don't actually get to see it. Inside there are no her head. thought balloons. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. There are no thought balloons. She doesn't have a journal, and that now gives I'm just us imagining narration.
0: her with stanley styled thought balloons? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Every sentence ends with an exclamation point. Yeah.
0: Don't steal her away from me. Stay tuned, <laughs> fans. Excelsior.
1: <laughs> now I want to see an edit of this comic with those <laughs> word with those thought balloons.
0: <laughs> I'm your mother, but. Who are you going to choose between? The love of your life or the love of, my mo- of your mother? <laughs> Stay tuned, kids! Excelsior!
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just this horrible, invasive act. Like, it's not even... Like, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to be like, hey, can I see that letter? But the way that she went about it was just super demanding. You know, like, I feel like... Again, I don't, I don't have a teenage son, so I'm just kind of imagining. But yeah, it feels like a normal or a rational response might be, oh, that's that's cute, you know, like yeah. you have a little girlfriend now, or you have somebody yeah. who, who who gave you a love letter, you know, yeah. C- can I see it? And yeah. you know, if your kid's like, no, you can't see this, then like most likely you would just be like, oh, okay, and you laugh about it and you just you know leave the room.
0: Then you smack them. Yeah, exactly. Or you, or you smack him. <laughs> I might not be able to read your love letter, but can you read the back of my hand? <laughs>
1: Man, I, I can't wait until you have kids.
0: <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna add, like, I feel like, even in a situation where a parent, re, like, you know, I, I, I you know, like you, I don't have a teenager, teenage kid of my own or whatever, right, but. Even in a situation where something like that happens, and a parent reads another kid's letter or whatever, when uh, when something when something secretive is going on, it usually feels like it comes from this place of concern, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that it was portrayed in in the manga, it's not it's not coming from a place of her concern for him. It's uh coming. It's definitely coming from a place of her concern for the threat that this girl poses to her you know it's a selfish Mm -hmm. it's it's a selfish act you know yeah uh, as as opposed to like an act of a parent or an act of like love or whatever so exactly yeah it's 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 messed up (laughs) it's messed up
1: (laughs) yeah and this whole scene is intense because it probably only takes a couple of minutes in real time but the amount of pages that oshimi spends depicting it it's like you get again so many pages of, of just them looking at each other say is he's stunned into silence kind of embarrassed uh there's there's an entire double page splash. That's just the two of them looking at each other. It's like so unusual, you know, such an unusual use of of splash pages here. But she reads the letter and lets him read it and tells him with tears in her eyes, tears pouring out of her eyes, she tells him that she won't accept this and that they have to get rid of this letter. And he wants to say something, probably wants to say, uh, you know, he probably wants to argue or or refuse to get rid of the letter, but he just he 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 can't and he just starts crying and he f- falls into her arms and uh you know they're sitting on his bed and then when he collapses into her arms, he collapses into her and then they're both just he's just lying on top of her, which is it's just a weird image you know because he's uh-huh. he's a thirteen year old boy and and she's a a young attractive mother and it's it's just so so bizarre. Like, you don't expect a little kid, or you don't expect a 13-year-old kid to, to be sobbing into his mother's bosom like that. To
0: embrace his mother like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and he's just saying, mommy, don't leave me. And yeah. well, then you can, at that point, you can kind of see, like, he's been so messed up, so psychologically troubled by his own mother that he just grew up in this weird way, too, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, there's, his mother ain't normal, but there's something about him that she's kind of kind of twisted you know yeah
0: he's definitely messed up too
1: (laughs) yeah and then yeah and then he's lying on her crying and then she says let's rip up this letter together and she forces him to hold the letter with her Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they both rip it apart and the way that scene is illustrated is just some really incredible storytelling because like the 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 pages that that are drawn, like the the rips of the page, uh, are reflected in how he depicts their faces. Because you get a couple panels where their faces are just ripped apart. <laughs> yeah, it's really an intense moment. Yeah. And on top of that, the uh, I don't know if I would say this is the icing on the cake, but this could be the mustard on your cream sundae. She <laughs> straight up kisses him on the lips. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> that's how it yeah. ends. <laughs> the other thing that I'd add is, and I could, I might be remembering this wrong, so you know, uh, correct me if if I got it wrong. But so we mentioned that up to this point he's been super traumatized, and uh, after this entire event, she she almost makes it seem like she's conceding that okay, there's been uh, something wrong between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And she, I think she talks to him about how, uh, she basically says, we need to talk about this, right? We need to talk about why you think mommy pushed uh, Shigeru off off the cliff. And she just further proceeds to gaslight him even further, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, she takes this moment to, like, paint herself as this victim, uh, like, you know, to to make it seem as though she's really traumatized by the fact that another girl likes him and that he might leave her for this other girl. She even says, I think this was the scene, but she says something like, "You know, if you leave, like, what do I need to be around for, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that? You know, what mm-hmm. what do I, what am I needed for if you're not around? What do, what do I need you for?" And um, you know, in that moment. Uh, in that moment, she's yeah, just making him feel all this guilt, and and then, you know, when it's at the height of uh just when when she's got him at the height of uh her hurting him emotionally or controlling him emotionally, she goes, okay, we need to talk about what happened here. Why do you think uh, about why you think I pushed him over the cliff? And she just take this takes this as an opportunity to like. Again, uh, eventually push him to this place where he go, where he has to admit to to force himself to believe that what he saw wasn't her um, pushing, pushing his coven, Sh- uh, cousin off, off the, the cliff. cliff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but what he actually like the way that they show the panels is pretty interesting too. Where it, I, I, it even got me to a place where I was like. Wait, did he just imagine that whole thing where his mom like, <laughs> you, you like was by the comic too? Kind of cuz it it almost made me think, oh, maybe did he dream that? Maybe he didn't really see that and like this is the real memory like surfacing, right? Yeah. So like it just showed all these gaps constantly showing up in his memory and then eventually the version of that moment that his mother has described to him takes form and it becomes the version that he believes he's tricked himself into believing that she tried to save him and he just fell of his own accord. Mm -hmm. It's pretty messed up (laughs) and it's, yeah, that, that entire sequence of events is, is, you know, for something that's a comic that that's a well done execution of of that technique you know Mhm. yeah yeah it's
1: just unsettling
0: all around i would say yeah so speaking of unsettling i guess we should move forward a little bit because we're only talking up to about volume two in this series right now like there's a lot more messed up stuff that happens along the way
1: yeah um, what are some of the other highlights
0: uh one of the things that that really stuck out to me was you don't see so after Shigeru falls from the cliff they find him uh they find his body in the woods and you see that he's messed up right but some time passes and you know that he survives and he's in the hospital and for a while the, the family tries to go visit the dad uh, uh says dad goes to visit regularly but what's even more messed up is um, Say's mom uh, because everything that's happened between uh, Say and this girl crush she takes that as a reason to not visit Shigeru anymore so the only person that visits from their family is the dad mm-hmm. and for a while we don't see what happens to Shigeru and the, the scene that really haunts me is at one point they eventually do go and what ends up happening is the revelation. The moment that they reveal what Shigeru looks like now. And he's basically just an, an empty vessel of a human being, you know? Yeah. Like, when you see him in that hospital bed, I felt sick. I don't know about you, but it, it was like... its
1: It's it, pretty sad, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you
1: just got to remind yourself that he was a jerk.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I guess that's the one thing that makes it okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Look, if every bully got pushed off a cliff and fell into a coma, the world would be a better place.
0: You know, when you put it that way, I'll give you, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. (laughs) Uh, but only as long as I don't actually have to see what they look like while yeah. they're in trauma. <laughs> yeah,
1: as long as I don't have to see what they look like after they survive yeah. falling off a cliff, and as long as I don't have to dirty my own hands pushing yeah. anyone myself.
0: Yeah, if I can believe that they're just in a a a, a cherubic, uh, harmonious state, then I'm good, you know? <laughs> If that's what comas look like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but I remember Actually, that moment where they like re- uh, remove the curtain just to mm-hmm. show him. And he yeah. is just, he he's, he's just a, cor- not, not a corpse, but he's just like a zombie or something. You know, there's just something about him that is eerie yeah. and just creepy, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's in this, I think he's in a coma, but his eyes are kind of slightly open, and his mouth is open, and he's got some, you know, tubes stuck in him and stuff. Yeah. So it, it's, uh yeah, even, even looking at, at him in the hospital can be yeah. a fairly traumatic experience.
0: And the or, thing of it is, say, yeah, and the thing of it is, the mother, like, the one who was kind of enabling him, you can see that she's kind of, I think they even make some sort of comment about it later on where she's like, Oh, I'm kind of overprotective of, uh, she now too, or something like that. I, I, I might be remembering it wrong, but, um, well, the thing is, is that, uh, his dad is the one who, who takes him to the
1: hospital. Cause his oh, mom yeah, yeah. really doesn't want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least, uh, that first time I think you're referring to in, in volume three. So mm-hmm. what ends up happening is even before his dad takes, say to the, the hospital, his dad and Sei- Seiko have this whole argument and, you, and Seichi gets a, uh, he kind of eavesdrops on their argument from like outside the house. But mm-hmm. uh, what we're privy to is just this scene of, her telling her husband that the only reason that she's still with him is because of their son and that if <laughs> if they didn't have say then she would have left and it's yeah. just this you know this harsh upsetting confrontation um and it's kind of also like the most emotion i feel like we see from says dad like so much <laughs> of the other times that he shows up He's just this quiet, unassuming, mild-mannered you know, the typical salary man. Yeah, yeah. In, in these kind of stories and like that that's what he is. He's he's not necessarily an absent father, but he's just so uh
0: well, you said oblivious earlier, right? Yeah,
1: he's he's oblivious. He's yeah. he is absolutely oblivious to what's going on with his wife. Yeah, it's weird that she is as
0: messed up as she is. And he does not seem to notice at all that she's yeah. just twisted. Yeah, you know? and that,
1: that is some – like, if, if this were, like, NBA 2K, he would have, like, one awareness out of 99, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, he wouldn't know where the ball is if it hit him on the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's – like, I don't the, – the funny thing is I don't know what else he's concerned with on a day-to-day basis – because it's not like they show him talking about his job or anything like that, you know? <laughs> so I, yeah. I really don't know what it is he he could be occupied with. But it's certainly not his family. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, even that scene where Seiko forces, say, to rip up the love letter. A little while after that, when they're just lying in bed with all the, the ripped up paper around them. Yeah. The father walks in on them, and he sees them, and he's like, yeah. huh, this is strange. And then, you know, nothing really happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'm going to go get a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's almost like a, a Homer Simpson-level-esque level of, of lack of self-awareness, you know? <laughs> yeah. If this wasn't such a serious manga, it'd be comedic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that is true. That is yeah that's a very good point
0: but yeah so so as the story progresses there are there are definitely other moments uh like just there i feel like there are big milestone moments that occur for the story just in terms of what happens to say uh as 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 all this stuff is happening around him you know Mm -hmm. um his his relationship with uh what's the girl's name again fukishi yeah, Fukiishi, that that progresses quite a bit as she eventually, you know, as Say goes to school, it's noticeable that he's kind of messed up. But she, and this was kind of, I mean, I get it. It's a story, so I had to, like, take it on its face. But it was, it was the kind of thing where I was like, man, this guy's a basket case, but she seems to like him a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's
1: like, <laughs> man... Oh. I thought I was normal when I was a kid. Nobody ever liked me that much.
0: Exactly, right? I was like, now I know this is, this is fantasy. A work of fiction. <laughs> exactly Straight up fantasy. Know? This kid is just a walking uh uh is just a walking bunch of uh neuroses and she just like loves she's just madly in love with him in spite of it, you know? Uh <laughs> utter fantasy. Yeah, but anyways, she so even though he's he's like seriously messed up, he's going to school, he can't answer questions, he's he's not interacting with his friends anymore. He's, you know, he's he's just floating through life, right? But mm-hmm. this girl continues to watch him and even goes out of her way to engage with him. You know, mm-hmm. eventually she she hits him up and uh, you know asks him about what happened with that letter that she sent him oh yeah and and one of the things that happens after they shred the letter is the mom makes him promise like never mm. to uh just never to 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 talk to her again, basically you know yeah so when when she tries to pop back in his life when she starts asking him uh what happens to the letter he's he is uh He's just torn, you know? Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to disobey his mom. Like, I I think he even frames it in a way where he tries to tell himself, oh, I'm going to go talk to her and tell her never to talk to me again so that I can tell my mom, see, I did a good job. I told her to leave me alone. But there was a part of him that you could tell just wanted to do that just so he could talk with her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But in spite of all that, he he can't deny his own feelings. And after several more interactions, he eventually tells her that he likes her too, you know? Mm-hmm. And they begin spending uh they begin spending their evenings together just you know in the uh just on a park bench. Uh it's puppy they, love. Yeah, exactly. And they're just talking to each other and hanging out. And he's coming home late, and his mother is asking him where he is. And, you know, he can only get away with the lie for so long, but...
1: He's not a criminal genius who knows how to keep yeah. those kind of secrets.
0: In fact, he's probably emotionally stunted enough where he he's not even... He doesn't even have the basic kind of common sense to to get around that you know yeah <laughs> yeah but he, he he just comes up with some excuse uh, as to why he's home late and you know maybe he if I had to guess he's just kind of hoping and praying that that should be enough to get her to leave him alone for for at least another day you know mm-hmm and Eventually, the mom tracks him down, uh, and and uh, tracks him down to the the park bench where they've been spending their time together, and he just runs off with Fuki Fuki Fukiichi.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna Fuki-ushi. go with
0: that. Fukiichi. <laughs> I think they, her first they run- name is Yuuko. There we go, Yuuko. Okay, so they run off together, and he decides to uh. Basically, for the time being, he decides to try just try to run away with her, you know, or live with her. I, I'm kind of like running even,
1: away from home.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not entirely too clear what their entire plan was, but you know, they're at kids, that point, it,
1: so they they probably didn't think much farther than that.
0: Exactly, exactly. It was it probably wasn't something that was thought out any further than that. Exactly. So. It's at that point where you get to see what Yuko's home life is about. Uh up to that point they talk about it a little bit, just that you know that she has her issues with her dad, and that he's her mom is dead. I think she's dead, right? Whose mom? Uh Yuko's. Uh
1: I don't know if she's dead, but she's not in the picture.
0: Yeah. And um but she, you know, that she doesn't like living with her dad. You know, it's not a happy home situation. You know. Yeah. Um, She's not sure if he's abusive
1: or anything, but he might be emotionally abusive, or at the yeah. very least, uh, controlling. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's not a good relationship. That's yeah. But this is definitely another example of another one of the other few adults we do see in the book in the manga and it's yeah it just never feels like it It feels like we have not come across any healthy uh parent-child relationships in this so far yeah you know
1: yeah <laughs> uh kind of makes me wonder if at any point in the future volumes we will see anyone who's well-adjusted.
0: Yeah, well... I'm kind of skeptical. I, yeah, <laughs> same here. I was going to say, I don't think that that's going to vibe with what the book's trying to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, Everybody's
1: everybody's got some kind of twisted mental issue that really screws them up.
0: Yeah. So in this time period, uh, Say, uh, you know, is snuck into Yuko's house, and they're, you know, he's... Again, they haven't thought this through, but he's just staying with her for the time being until they can sort their situation out. And so for this portion of the story, he's... Yeah, I'm trying to look for the words, but this is where... I, I guess you could say his relationship with Yuko blossoms. I, I-, I guess that's the uh, PG way of saying it, <laughs> you know? that? Yeah, you make
1: it sound way more wholesome.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but really, there's, I mean, okay, so at this point, they're spending a lot of time together, and there's a lot of sexual tension between the two of them, but uh, I don't think, I don't know, I, I forget if they ever actually show any actual sex, but, you know, there's there's definitely a, a lot of implications going on between the two of them.
1: I I don't think they actually have sex. Yeah, I don't think so either. They're just like making out and feeling up on each other, touching each other and stuff. Yeah. And just being like awkward kids, because again, these are middle schoolers.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not even sure that Say knows what's going on with his body because his mom has been so overprotective his whole life.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah but
1: that's a good but yeah right. in in a way it is it is still um i guess a sexual awakening for him at least because uh-huh. like there's just so much made out of uh them being together and making out and 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 stuff like she she obviously wants to go further and he's mm-hmm. like. Basically, a little boy, you know, like he doesn't know what to do, and and uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that's really what it is, right? This ain't Xbox, son. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think the scene that that really shocked me was that moment when they're together. And I think they're they're outside somewhere, like at night. They're I think they're under under a bridge or an overpass or something like that.
0: Yeah. So so what ends up happening is uh, Say's mom. So once he runs away from home, Say's mom comes in search for him. And he, at that point in time, his intention is to continue to stay there again. Like they haven't thought this out. And when she comes to the house to to knock on the door. She confronts Yuko, uh, Yuko, and Yuko's dad, and Say goes out to hide on a balcony somewhere, and he overhears like their entire interaction. And he, Yuko, is fully aware of just how uh, nuts uh, Say's mom is, and he's just listening to this interaction between the two of them that's just fraught with tension, you know, tension and maybe animus even and it triggers something in him but after that interaction the two of them uh run off run away you know because mm-hmm. uh the mother is kind of hot on their tail and I'm, oh no what even, ends up even before
1: that there's a scene where they're they're like running literally running from her from his mom like she's yeah 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 this is before they uh before the scene you just described but like on one of the nights when they were just it's hanging the, out together. They're like the sitting moment. on a bench yeah. out by the fields and yeah. and Say's mom rides by on a bicycle and she spots them.
0: Yeah. And they see her on the other side of this field and they just start booking it. Yeah. Well, that's the moment that is the impetus for him running away from home, right? Mm-hmm. Because in that moment they're just like, Oh, I I just wanted we just wanted to have this thing, but clearly your mom's insane so we have to get out of here yeah yeah and then what ends up happening at 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 the scene later when say's mom comes to the house is after she leaves uh yuko goes back up and you know she's talking with say when the dad comes in and he just loses it because he's like were you lying to that woman's uh, uh to that woman this whole time? Who is mm-hmm. this guy? How long has he been here? You know, all this stuff that is pretty reasonable to ask if you found a strange <laughs> boy in your daughter's room, right? Yeah. And at that point they run off together. Uh, you know, uh like their 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 entire plan is we we're just gonna get away, we're gonna it's almost like we're gonna join the circus or something like that, right? Oh yeah. we're two kids, we're just gonna give up uh school and we're just gonna run away together forever. And so the two of them go to like an overpass or something like that, and you know, they don't have any money, they're they don't have any food, and Hugo's just in shorts and pajamas or something like that, you know? Yeah and it's raining. And that's when when uh when the scene you're about to describe happens.
1: Oh I was actually hoping you would describe it because it's like way too awkward. Okay, We're talking about little kids here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I th- I think it's just like number 1, it's uncomfortable and unsettling because it is a couple of kids. Uh-huh. You know, they're they're in middle school and they're making out and feeling up on each other and then like I was saying earlier, say doesn't really know what to do because he's just so shocked and uh uh, i think you can make the argument that the girl she's more willing to go uh all the way Mm -hmm. but because he doesn't know what he's doing like they don't they don't actually like have sex he just ends up ejaculating in his pants
0: (laughs) yes you think that's funny albert uh, I, I'm sniggering like a like a teenage girl. Yes.
1: Okay. Okay. So <laughs> he, yeah, it, it's it's a really weird scene because I mean it, it's it's believable, realistic, but the way that Oshimi draws that scene, it is just so strange, man. Because yeah. it's it's basically him drawing a boy's sexual awakening, but it's done in a way. That is simultaneously disgusting but also transcendent. Like it's hard to describe exactly like what it is. You just kinda have to see it. But I remember I was reading that volume on the bus. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I hope nobody looks over my shoulder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And like I was sitting I was sitting in the middle of the bus too. So like I was right next to the door. So anytime anybody would walk in, they could totally see what I was reading. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely in the back of my mind. I was like, man, I shouldn't have brought this one on the bus with me. <laughs> that was a mistake.
0: I, I, do, I do think there's, there's a little bit of truth in... So when you described it as something that's transcendent and disgusting at the same time, I, I do think that that's a pretty apt description for most teenagers at that point in their life. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's son. You're getting to a point in your age where, where you're going to start to notice changes in your body, and Let you're going you to start notice... to
1: birds and the bees.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know that, like for a teenager at that point in your life, you know there are just weird things happening to you, and you you don't really know how to deal with it you're not really you're definitely not comfortable with any of it and and you're just kind of lost out there without any real uh uh without any uh guides or any any anything to make sense of whatever it is that you're going through right i mean so uh-huh say what you will about whatever classes or books or, uh, you know, friendly uncles are out there to tell you what you feel like you think is going to help you. (laughs) But uh, like, no matter what, it's going to have the internet. Yeah. Well, even then, like it's, it's, well, you know what? I'm not a teenager in 2022, so I can't really say, but I imagine that no matter what it's, it's still just a weird experience and time in your life to go through. So when you describe it as, um, when you describe the way that he drew it as something that's transcendent and disgusting, like, I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's art imitating life on some level, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And yet, as a reader, it's, it's super unsettling, cause uh-huh. again these are kids, so it's it's just like a weird thing to see depicted, even uh-huh. even if it's got a sense of realism and there's just enough abstraction to the layout that makes you see what the mangaka was going for. It yeah, it's still very unsettling, and I, I think I True. think that's the point, you know, like it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Like this is a yeah, this whole series is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. If yeah, you like yeah, to yeah. feel these uncomfortable uh, emotions, you know that, that. I guess that's why people turn to these kind of psychological horror stories or thrillers, yeah. whatever you want to call it. It's it's very psychological in the sense that it it just gets under your skin, and you can't help but feel something. You know, like if you're, I feel like. There's no way to to read this and just kind of like shrug your shoulders and move on, you know. Like,
0: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What if I told you that even though they look like middle school kids, they're really ten thousand year old demons? <laughs> so, so it's more it's more okay to to think of them in a sexual way.
1: <laughs> your Honor, I submit my defense.
0: <laughs> Case closed. Game over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no that that would be absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but dude, you know what scene really got me? After that I think it it was in a volume or two after that scene, but um you know, long story short, say eventually has to go home. His mom, you know, gets him to go home and and then he's just been through this ordeal outdoors at night all night long with this girl. And he, uh, you know, he takes a shower. So he takes his clothes off and throws his clothes in in the laundry. So his mom straight up goes back into the laundry and pulls his underwear out. And it's still stained with his, uh,
0: seminal fluids
1: yeah yeah and she just holds it up in front of him and says say what is this (laughs) yeah if that's not horrifying I don't know what is yeah it's like can you just imagine your mom doing that
0: uh I don't want to imagine that ever yeah (laughs) it's a a terrifying
1: thought yeah like that seeing that shook me to my core Yeah, man. And the way that Oshimi draws him in that in that scene, like he starts using all these squiggly lines, you know, like a lot of the artwork has a lot of cross hatching. Especially Mm -hmm. when things get intense and oppressive. He starts using these squiggly lines to draw what's happening. And I guess it just conveys this intense shock and uh you know the the real horror of his mother discovering something that well you know suffice it to say no teenage boy wants to explain to his mother.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd like to make a a, a correction. Actually, I'm looking at volume six right now. Mm-hmm. So so after after the whole. Uh, ordeal with uh, Yuko or Fukishi Fukishi, uh, Mm -hmm. after their their entire ordeal together uh, in that tunnel, what ends up happening is you see that whatever is at the root of Sei's problems it goes a lot deeper than we actually think because Mm -hmm. that brief moment where he sees his mom looking for him uh, is enough to trigger whatever feelings are in him that he feels compelled to go back to her so he he tells fukushi that i uh, you know he, he he just tells her to go home you know and he's going to go and say is going to go back to his home and try to reconcile with his mother and that's so which is pretty messed up in and of itself you know that she just has her claws dug so deep into him that yeah. That's how, how tight her grasp is on just his psyche, you know. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier that uh, so there's a moment where uh, Say and his mom end up talking about, you know, where she where she finally gaslights him to the fullest degree, where she talks about, she convinces him to finally accept that he she didn't push uh, Shigeru off the cliff. But in fact, she tried to save him and he fell. And that actually happens in the sixth volume. So after after the entire ordeal where he runs away from uh, home uh, and she is, or he goes back to her after, mm-hmm. after that entire ordeal, uh, there's this entire scene where you just see him running in the rain and you see, you know, them unite in the rain and Again, it's it's really uncomfortable because the way they draw it, it almost seems like a scene like in a, like in terms of a trope, it seems like a scene in a romance movie where like two lovers come to each other, you know, in, a, in yeah. a rainstorm or something, right? Yeah, but, there's
1: actually quite a few scenes with Say and his mother that are drawn uncomfortably like that. Yeah, they're super suggestive, right? Yeah, very much so.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I. I don't want to say that I'm reading into it, but it's hard not to just the way that they're drawing the them. Right. And so the scene is, uh, you see her in, in, uh, as this black, uh, shadowy figure. And as she runs closer, she becomes more and more detailed and clear. And until eventually you see just her face and she's, you know, just sobbing in agony as she embraces her son and, uh, that entire scene, again, It's it feels like it should be a scene in a romance film, but because of the context <laughs> of it, it's just painful to watch this. She's, like, straight kissing him, like, just straight lips on his cheeks, and he's just he's just devoid. His eyes are just dead, you know? And, yeah. then, and then you get these other scenes where sh- her hands are just touching him in places, and uh, bits <laughs> of her hair are in his mouth and it's it's all just very suggestive and sexual and it culminates uh there's this one scene right here where they're hugging each other in the rain and you just get this upward shot of uh says mom and you know you like get a good shot of her like body you know mm-hmm. and and yeah it, it just culminates with her like just uh you know, she's screaming. I'm so sorry, and you know, she's sorry that she pushed him to this point. And then next thing you realize is he's saying it too. He's saying, "I'm sorry that I said I didn't need you." You know, mm-hmm. and and then her face gets serene, and that's the moment where I think she knows that she's broken him. You know that <laughs> yeah. she got him back. They walk yeah. back home. They walk back home. Uh, the dad is just like. Why? What's going on here? You know he he is completely clueless. <laughs> yeah, and the house is just a mess. Even though like up to this point, she, it seems like she's kept a good house together, and yeah, and, and it almost feels like things go back to normal. But yeah, they and in that moment, afterwards, that's when she knows that she can have this talk with him, and she finally convinces him to believe that she's seeing the world that he's seeing the world the way that she's told him to see it,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and is it also that scene where she makes him promise that he'll never talk to Fukiishi again? I think so.
0: I think so. Yeah. I, I I'm not I, I gotta look for it, but uh But at least up to the volume
1: that we've read yeah. It seems to have worked because there are scenes I remember scenes where uh Fukishi tries to talk to Say and yeah. you know he he rejects her and rebuffs her. Yeah. And uh yeah, I'm I'm curious to see what's gonna happen with yeah.
0: that part of the of the plot. And I'm I'm seeing this other page right now that like totally like haunts me. But in the moment where she finally gets convinces Him, you know of her of her narrative right she's holding his face and they're just like looking deep into each other's eyes and then in the moment that uh say accepts it 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 almost reminds me of the way they describe people when they're in cults because he is just (laughs) so elated and his eyes are just so wide-eyed he's euphoric He's euphoric that he's found the truth. That he's accepted this truth, you know. It, it's it's pretty gross.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Those those things are troubling, man. Yeah. But I, I guess that's what also makes this series entertaining too.
0: Yeah. And um. Yeah, and then as the story progresses from this point forward, what ends up happening is. Uh Shigeru actually awakens from the coma. You mm, know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he awakens from the coma and he his his uh vocabulary is limited, his his motion is limited, but he gives enough of an indicator to to know to to let his mom know that uh Says mom was the one that pushed him over the cliff, you know? And Says yeah. mom just she or Shigeru's mom just like loses her crap because she's like, you know, of course, like someone if if her son told her that this other person was the one who hurt her, like hurt she's him. gonna believe hurt him. He's gonna believe she's gonna believe him, right? Yeah. So in this moment, she's just mad and upset at Say's mom and asking her why is this true? Is this what you did? And Say like just again in in cult fashion to show that he's just drank the Kool-Aid, he like snaps at her and he's like, How dare you say that about my mom, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, that that's quite a twist right there. And yeah. the thing about uh Shigeru is that and correct me if I'm uh misremembering it, but he's he he doesn't uh explicitly say that Seiko pushed him, but he just has this reaction when he sees her, right? Because yeah, he's not yeah, it's an accusatory. He's not fully mentally.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Like, yeah, and like mentally, he's not fully uh, back to his normal senses. But like, he's—he's he's conscious. But when he, whenever he sees her, he kind of reacts in, in a fearful manner.
0: Yeah, he's afraid of her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you're you you you're remembering that exactly right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that yeah that scene when. When Say defends his mom against his aunt, that that was a scene where I was like, "Dang, man, she she got him." Yeah, yeah. And and that is that is some twisted stuff, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh... oof, it's it's a ride, man. This this manga is a ride, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's uncomfortable, but I like it a lot. Yeah. And now I'm I'm flipping through volume seven, and uh, you're right. A- at this point, you know after everything that Sei's been through, like th- just to even just to further solidify just how gone he is. Uh, after he starts going back to school, uh, Fukiishi, Fuki, she's there's this one point in the story where she wants to go see him because she hasn't seen him since that night, right? Yeah, and she's trying to talk to him and he's just so cold to her and you just see him from the back and he's like, Fukiishi I don't like you anymore and then you see the slight turn of his head and on the next page, once you turn the page you see his whole face as as just one giant splash and he is just serene and happy (laughs) and all he has to say is I'm done with you you know like, yeah. there's no sense of uh, hurt, there's no sense of loss, there's nothing. He's just, he's completely in on his mother-loving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny way to put it, but I,
1: I yeah, I, I guess that's exactly the way to put it. <laughs> he a mother-lover. <laughs> he is, man. <laughs> yeah. That That's a pretty dark twist, too, man, just to see, just to see him... Get his mind bent in this kind of way, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it's it's the sort of thing that it's it's weird to say this is the sort of thing that that's entertaining, but I don't know, man. There's just something about the execution of it all that it just works for me on a on a craft level. I like the artwork, yeah. the the story is just so compelling and and again even though it goes into these uncomfortable places it it makes me feel things that i don't often feel when i read other comics you know and i I just think that with 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 fiction it, it gives you a place to explore and experience things that normally you wouldn't and Sometimes that means enjoying a feel good story or you know a, yeah. an action story or a drama or a romance but sometimes it also means you take your mind on into uncomfortable pits you know dark places yeah yeah exactly absolutely. exactly
0: if yeah if a if a work of fiction if the test of a, of a work of fiction is its ability to uh to elicit emotional response if one of the tests for a work of fiction is its ability to elicit emotional response from you yeah. like that that includes the entire range of emotions even as yeah like you said even including uh, uncomfortable and frightening ones you know yeah man because i yeah. think
1: any kind of art ultimately tries to make you feel something it, it either yeah. tries to make tries to communicate something and or make you feel something you know yeah and and, uh this one definitely makes you feel stuff that you don't necessarily want to feel you know like i I don't imagine too many people hunt down books and stories and or movies that make them feel bad about the world or feel disgusted by how horrible human beings can be but you know
0: some people like us, I guess, can appreciate those kind of stories. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose it takes a certain level of uh, uh, disassociation to do that. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to make another correction real quick, but yeah, I mentioned earlier that there's a scene where uh, Say goes to his mom and tells her I did it, I told her that I don't want to be with her anymore, and um, you know, her response is, I told you not to go near her. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that happened initially earlier on in the book, but that actually does happen in volume seven of the book. Oh, but, okay. you know, so even after they rip up the letter, and he pro- and she does make him promise not to interact with this girl, but, uh, you know, we have this scene later on. and And I wanted to go a little bit back also back into the scene where he defends his mom. Like, there are some details, and I'll, I should take a picture of it to put up on the Instagram when we do this episode. But mm-hmm. in addition to the moment where, um, you know, Shiguru's mom is, like, accusing Say's mom of uh, pushing her kid over the cliff. Like, in that moment, Say just straight up pushes her. It looks like he just straight up smacks her for, like... <laughs> Suggesting something like that, and you just see his face he just goes you know to a hundred as he goes, Shut up, don't talk about my mommy that way, you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 insane this is uh this is b a n a n a s man, <laughs> yeah,
1: I think the thing that makes this series so chilling is that it's it feels so realistic mm. i mean maybe the the most unrealistic thing that we've talked about is having a girl like some kid that's you know just st- closed up <laughs> into his own world <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like if, if that's the most unrealistic thing in the story i i can live with that you know but just in terms of the of the uh depictions of of motherhood and the depictions of their lives when a family member has suffered a serious accident, the depiction of the psychological issues that Seiko's mom has and that Seiko himself has. Like, all of that feels pretty realistic. And I'm Mm. no psychologist or anything, but I think having those elements depicted in a way that has a level of verisimilitude makes the story more horrifying because you you can immediately associate anything awful that you see happen to say and just understand it even if you've never experienced it yourself you know Mm -hmm. like the i mean it, it could be that scene where they rip up the letter you know, and you just it's it seems like something that would is so outlandish, but it's not outside the realm of realism, you know and when you read a scene like that, your imagination kind of fills in and and experiences the i don't know the the discomfort and the yeah, I guess the terror that that uh that say is feeling, or there's the scene in uh, I think volume four when. Say and Fukiishi are running through the field and they see Seiko chasing them and the way that it's drawn, it's dark and really scratchy art, uh, just full of crosshatching everywhere to, to indicate the shadows and everything. There's there's a sense of terror as they're being chased. And it's like, what would what's more horrifying than for a teenage boy to be running off with his little girlfriend and and for his mom to be chasing him you know like, <laughs> like like even though it's not played as a joke like i don't know there's just something about it that that feels it feels it would be silly in any other kind of story like it would be funny but in this story it's absolutely horrifying yeah Hmm.
0: what did you think of the artwork Um, it's, I think for the most part, it's pretty straightforward, but you're right. Uh, there, there are moments where in order to highlight the psychological effect of things that are going on, um, they, they, uh, Shuzo Oshimi does some like pretty interesting things with the line work to indicate like, just how messy and insane things are, you know, uh, there's yeah. this page on volume in volume seven that I was just looking at, right. Where, you know, in, in the midst of, uh, uh, says, um, you know, just, I don't have any other word for it except like breakdown, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything just becomes squiggly lines to him, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you remember that scene, but that was a really interesting way just to draw that all out. Just just to have everything in his world just lose uh, shape as, as it just distorts, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a trick that he does for a few big moments here and there. Because I'm, I'm looking at a spread in Volume 4. On pages uh-huh. 180, 188, and 189, it's a double-page spread. It's the scene when Say and Fukishi are hiding in the field from his mom, and she's just calling out to him. And they're crouched underneath, you know, these tall plants. And it's a close-up. This double-page splash is a close-up of of Say uh, grabbing yeah. his throat because he feels like he's being suffocated, and just surrounding him are these word balloons of his mother saying his name say Mm -hmm. say say and all around him like the way that he's drawn the way that the plants are are hatched it's all just like a bunch of lines and and say specifically is just a bunch of squiggly lines like they're not even straight lines and you just see it almost looks like, uh, you know, those things that measure the severity of an earthquake. You know, those. I forget yeah, what yeah, you yeah. call. them, But it kinda like like kind of looks like those kind of
0: lines. Geiger counter is it? No, I think that's for radiation.
1: Yeah. But yeah, yeah you know what I'm what I'm trying to say, and it's yeah. just a bunch of these squiggly lines making yeah. up his his uh filling up his shading. Um, it, it's a really great effect that works in these heightened moments when he's being terrified to the core.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at one of those right now. It's uh it it was in volume six. It's the moment where <laughs> it's the moment where his mom confronts him about what he did with Fukiishi and she forces him to reveal to her what what exactly happened in detail and it's him going and we kiss and then something came out <laughs> I remember that scene, and he is just like he is just. Because I mean, like, what kid can explain
1: that to their mom, man? Yeah, yeah, come on.
0: And and I know we spent some time talking about it earlier, but that scene that I was discussing, where you know, it looked like it was something out of a romantic, uh, uh, like a romance movie or something, where uh, Say is running back to his mom, and they like meet each other in the rain. Like even though like the context is what makes it creepy, it's a well done scene like he uh Shuzo's Oshimi like clearly understood how to draw an evocative scene, you know, yeah, and how to how to mimic these feelings of romance and love, but there's also this added extra layer of understanding that, hey, by the way this is a mother and her son that that these feelings are being evoked about. So, uh, you know, it's just that extra layer that makes you realize that I think I need to take a shower after this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's anything about this book where, do you think it's plausible to think that this could be Shuzo Oshimi's way of, having something to say about like just motherhood like uh i mean in the sense that maybe like is is uh shuzo making some sort of statement on like the idea that familial obligations are kind of messed up as a concept or maybe even families as a concept as a so- <laughs> as a social construct is is there's something like not quite right with it <laughs> like do you think anything there's anything that you could uh that could be gleaned from that?
1: I don't know if I could go so far as to say he's implying that families as a social construct are flawed in some deep way. I would probably just based on this one story because this is the only series of his that I've read, I would I would guess that maybe he's saying being over obsessive about something is not healthy which is a pretty basic concept yeah but i th- yeah. i think by presenting such a, presenting that concept in such a specific manner maybe it can help universalize the idea too you know so it's not necessarily just if you're a mother who is over obsessed with her son this is how you'll turn out you know, it's not necessarily. Maybe it's not necessarily solely a warning against that, but it could just be universalized in terms of the concept of of uh, if you're over obsessed or an and overprotective of of anything, it's just unhealthy, you know. And it it leads to to negativity and uh, potentially abusive relationships. Mm.
0: I. I did just have another thought, and again, I'm not saying that this is for sure. I, I don't even know if this is what I believe, but it, it's it's more of a musing. But uh, it it there there is something to be thought of. Like, and again, I'm not an, like I don't know anything about Japanese culture. Uh, you know, certainly not enough to make any concrete commentary on it. But you know, there's. It'd be interesting to look into it to see if there's anything that could be said about like rigid like what it's like to come from uh societies with like rigid family structures where uh you know where you have a lot of emphasis placed on uh you know uh, obedience like familial obedience to to parents and uh you know loyalty mm-hmm. to that degree like what happens
1: yeah. when it's that, that's pretty common in, in Asian culture, I would say. Yeah,
0: right. Like and again, I, I'm not gonna speak for Japanese culture, but um it it's it'd be interesting to look at this book juxtaposed against uh someone who who doesn't necessarily have the best uh uh outlook on on, on that sort of uh social structure, right? Mm-hmm um you know not not to say that i i know for a fact that that's what he believes but if, if that is where this is coming from <laughs> it, it'd be kind of an interesting way for that uh for that to express itself in a story right Mm-hmm. like You know, in a society where, you know, your your obedience to your family is has such a high premium on of importance in your life. Like what happens when it just goes to, like, the worst possible place that it can go to? You know? Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, again, uh, I, I don't I can't speak for like Japan, but it does feel like you know from what i've read or heard uh there there's a lot of instances where people have a sense of dissatisfaction with with their uh, you know with their situations just because uh with their family situations just because there's so much pressure to like please your parents mm-hmm. you know mhm yeah so it, it's it's fascinating to me. Uh, it's it's the kind of thing that makes me want to dive deeper to see if that's if there's any like kernel of truth to that, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting angle to kind of examine this work from. Yeah. Yeah, that's the like, kind of thing that gives gives it a little more depth, you know? Yeah. You're you're raising these questions. It's making you think about stuff.
0: Yeah, well, this is something that just occurred to me because, I, I mean, we're we're accustomed to a lot of stories, especially like in in the West, where you know, a lot of stories that like uplift family, you know, and uh, just talk about you know, family is the most important thing, and uh, you know, this is, how great mm-hmm. is family? And,
1: I mean, we grew up in Asian American culture, man. It's like kind of ingrained in us too.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it's just I I don't uh, No, there there are definitely stories out there that look at the 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 darker side of family, but mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just made me think. I wonder if uh I guess the short form is I wonder what uh Shuzo Oshimi's family life is like. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. You know, I don't know well, anything
1: about him. Yeah, I mean, all I really know about him is some of the other titles that he's created, but I've never read them, and I don't know anything about him as a as a person, uh-huh, other uh-huh. than he's only, I think he's about our age, but yeah, he's he's already been pretty prolific. Um, I was also, you know. I was also thinking while you were talking, it made me think of what could have possibly influenced him in, in making this story because it is, it feels like a fairly creative idea for a horror story, you know, just having the mother be the monster essentially. And I, you know, I'm sure there are stories like that already, but Nothing that really comes to mind for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also thinking how from, I don't know, just being someone who, who uh, falls into Wikipedia rabbit holes, looking up information on true crime and things of, things of that nature. Yeah. I do know that in Japan, especially, I don't know if it still happens a lot in the news now, but Like in the 90s and in the 2000s, there were a lot of stories about uh, mothers that abandoned their children. Mm. So, uh, you know, this would be like mothers who who had little little toddlers or even babies, and they Mm. would just leave them in the apartment and just, you know, go and live their lives. and, And then, and obviously those kids end up dying because they've been abandoned by their mother. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was a story about someone who even went to to Canada, I think mm. like she, she flew to Canada and, and just left her kids in her uh, apartment or something. Uh-huh. Uh, there, there were stories about uh, how I think there was even, uh, I think the authorities in Japan had to crack down on this at some point, but They have these, uh, public lockers, um, in these, I don't know exactly. bus stations? They might be at bus stations or train stations, but Uh public lockers where, where, uh, parents would just abandon little babies in there because they think, oh, uh, a lot of people use these lockers. So if I just leave my baby here, somebody's going to find it and it'll be all right, you know, but in reality, um most don't survive yeah and it was a it was a big problem in the in the 90s i think mm. so it, it makes me think of horror stories like that because like those are like when we think of horrible mothers i just imagine like the neglectful mothers that yeah. abandon their babies and and leave them to die but here we've got this story where this mother did the opposite but she mm-hmm. went like way too far. Off yeah. The other direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't have no idea if if those child abandonment stories had any kind of influence or impact on Oshimi. But uh, it was just something that came to mind when I was thinking about horror horror stories involving mothers. And what's more horrifying than true crime stories about mothers basically yeah. throwing away their babies?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, definitely an episode where I'm going to walk away feeling a little grosser than I normally do. (laughs) Uh. So,
1: with that said, let me ask you this, Albert. What would you recommend for people who enjoyed Blood on the Tracks?
0: (laughs) So... um. I I thought about it and um I did come up with quite a few movies that like I think tonally uh have a similar feel to this book. Um so the first one of the movies that I was thinking of was uh, I've mentioned this on uh previous podcast episodes but it's uh, a movie called The Killing of a Sacred Deer and it's 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 not it doesn't have the same subject matter, but it's definitely a movie where there are a lot of scenes uh where not a lot is said, and you're just watching people's interactions with each other, and they're not necessarily even directly talking about whatever topic is uh, whatever topic is happens to be the thing that bound them together for the sake of the story but mm-hmm. You can tell that just by watching them that there's definitely an unease and discomfort to whatever is at the core of their relationship, you know? Yeah. So um, that's one movie that I was thinking of. Uh, another one that I was thinking of while we were talking about this is, uh, well, Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. That's mm. probably one of the most famous uh, mother stories. Uh, out there.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, I don't want
0: to give too much away about that in case you ever want to check that out. But in my mind, I fell down a rabbit hole. And after thinking about the movie Psycho, it made me think about the source material for the movie Psycho, which was uh, recently made into a comic called What Eddie Gain Done. Uh, This one might be a cheat because I haven't actually read it yet but this is by Harold Schecher Schet and Eric Powell and it's something that I do own and I'm looking forward to reading it uh it just came out this past year and it's the it's a uh comic it's a original graphic novel that's about the Edogain murderers uh murders and it's 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 a pretty well-known story about a serial killer who was uh, driven, well, I don't know if he was driven mad by his relationship with his mother, but he certainly had an unhealthy relationship with his mother. And, uh, Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it drove him to do some awful, awful, awful things. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd say those are probably my recommendations for someone who wants to, Really not feel good for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Drew?
1: I thought of a couple of comics. The first one is The Milkman Murders by Joe Casey and Steve Parkhouse. This was a four-issue miniseries that was originally published by Dark Horse Comics, but several years ago, Image Comics reprinted it in in a hardcover Uh, edition maybe even a trade paperback but uh even though the milkman murders is written by an american and a british artist drew it it's a very different style of storytelling from blood on the tracks i feel that what it has in common is that it's another horror story a psychological horror story about a family and it centers around a mother and In this case, it's not necessarily an overprotective mother, but it's, it's, I mean, she's definitely not overprotective, but it's about a suburban housewife who has two teenage children, but all she wants is this kind of ideal 1950s sitcom, Leave it to Beaver kind of lifestyle, you know, where everything is just hunky-dory and you know, living the American dream in, in that regard. But her family is just all messed up because her husband is is a, a drunkard, an abusive drunkard. Her son...
0: Many things.
1: <laughs> her son catches little animals and skins them in the shack in the backyard. Her daughter is out having affairs with her gym teachers. It's like... Just all this stuff that's going on in her life that is driving her mad, and it it's um it it definitely makes you feel really uncomfortable because there's some sexual stuff that happens too uh but if if you i don't know I guess if you're the kind of reader who enjoys the uncomfortable kind of experiences and stories, then yeah maybe the milkman murders could be something to give a shot. Another one is a manga called A Girl on the Shore by Inio Asano. That one is a story that also takes... It, it focuses on a couple of middle schoolers. And it's not... This one's not a horror kind of story, but it it's a story that um, is centered around making you feel really uncomfortable. Like, this is... A comic that again has kids engaged in sexual acts it's compared to blood on the tracks this is even more explicit like this actually you'll see genitals and fluids and all sorts of stuff that you don't want to see um but i guess i would say it's part of the story because he's trying to make you feel the full spectrum of negativity. And uh, he's telling a story about how these middle schoolers essentially use sex and emotional manipulation against each other. So, um, in a way, there's there's a lot of shock value because of that. And these kids are really terrible, terrible people. (laughs) But it's also got a strange kind of depth to it. Like I remember after I read it, I felt really uncomfortable and uneasy. And that's definitely not something that you want to read on the bus. But it does make you think about emotional themes of depression, ennui, confusion, especially this adolescent confusion and just feeling tired about life and the world. It's it's weird, but it's like an exploration of teenage angst, but told from a more adult perspective, so it yeah, it's very unusual and and the kind of thing that I think comes off as something that's very shocking, but I think after you finish it, it makes you think if you reread it, you'll get more out of it because you'll see where he's gone with the story, but you definitely need to have a strong stomach for that one, like that a girl on the shore is is not for everybody like i wouldn't recommend that to anyone unless they were specifically looking for something uncomfortable Mm. what do you think about junji ito's stuff you think uh people who like blood on the tracks would dig junji ito
0: i think so i think uh at least so in terms of art style i think there's similarities certainly between the two of them uh junji ito tends to do things that are a little that are definitely uh, more out there and uh, more bizarre looking, um, but I think there are moments in Junji Ito stories where the tension is built around, you know, subtleties like, you know, just the development of of tension. From someone's facial expression or something like that. I do think there's a similar similarity that exists there that also exists in something like Blood on the Tracks. It's just that Blood on the Tracks, like so much of it, is, uh, is ba- so much of the tension is focused around the subtleties of uh, context and facial expressions and um uh uh. uh yeah, just body movements and just all the various uh, little nuances that uh, they've written into the comics to make it – to just build this entire foreboding sense of uh, discomfort, right? Yeah. And with Junji Ito, you definitely – he there are definitely scenes in his manga where you you see that. But the only difference is, I think with Junji Ito, you get the release of whatever the the horror is when when he draws like some of the more messed up stuff that you yeah. you actually see, you know. Yeah,
1: and I I would say Junji Ito's horror stories tend to revolve around grotesque yeah. uh, creatures and stuff too. There's a little yeah. bit more gore and actual yeah. violence.
0: Yeah. And there's a there's a psychological horror to Junji Ito that exists as well, but it's it's just a different type of psychological horror, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: He writes a lot of different, like a lot of his uh, short stories. You'll get a wide spectrum of different types of horror, mm-hmm. and, and you'll get some some of the monster creature kind of gory horror, but you'll also get that psychological horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's yeah. If if you enjoy uh, horror manga, definitely got to check out. Yeah. Itto Ito is a he's, master. He's super dude. popular. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cool. I think uh, I think we've uh, hit a good spot. You feel like you have anything else you want to say on the on blood on the tracks? I think
1: I'm good until we read the next volume, man.
0: Yeah. For sure um yeah if uh, if anyone has anything that they want to add or anything that they want to contribute or say or any questions regarding it you know dm us on instagram at between the gutters or you know hit us up on gmail at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com uh you know follow our tweets hit us up on twitter at uh you know between the gutters uh yeah we want to hear from you and we'd love to be able to uh chat it up with y'all you know sounds good Welcome
1: gutters. to Between the Gutters.
0: What? Okay. What? Okay. Hey. hey. Hello. Hello. Drew, is that you? Drew, is that you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. 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 Uh, took me by surprise, but welcome nonetheless. Gutter Knights. Gutterites. Whatever. <laughs> Wait, I was I was just screwing around. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was trying to just get back on message, but okay. <laughs> is this really the beginning of the episode?
1: No, you should do your actual intro.
0: <laughs> okay, I was I was like really not sure if we were going with this or not.
1: We could, but I just imagine if it were somebody's first episode, first time listening to us, they yeah. would probably just turn it off.
0: <laughs> this is Bush League, man. This is Bush League. I'm what professional. What's your deal? <laughs> What's your deal? Okay, so I'll just go I'll just go again. <laughs> yeah.